Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo, the historical comedy podcast where we bring in weird stories and make jokes about them. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. Noel's finally back with us after uh, a, a long and happy vacation. Yep. Yay. And he's got a story to share with us today. Yep. Noel, what's your story? Well, so I was in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I went on a distillery, uh, not a distillery tour, but kind of like a, there's a local historian who uh, dresses up like this 1930s barkeep, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and he like has like almost this setup of it. He's a, just got vats hanging off him, just <laughs> like pipes. A small fire. <laughs> Please, I was an experiment. <laughs> Gone horribly wrong. Load mash into me so I may live. This is uh, like the mechanical Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just like that. Yeah. So it was at a distillery, but in their basement, they had this kind of uh, bar room that's kind of set up like a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. And you go there and this historian just in character kind of talks you through the history of whiskey in Louisville and just you gave about uh, four or five different whiskeys to try, oh. which is pretty cool. But you actually had to get into the uh, bar room by um, the person who took the tour group down was just like, hey, listen, the cops, we got to be, it's prohibition. The, the cops, they're everywhere. Uh, here, here's this password. Uh, you got to say this password to get in. And just not, and the guy had to just knock on the safe door, wait a few seconds, and then like the little eye thing goes, shh. And I don't know what would have happened if he forgot or he flustered, but he remembered the password and we got in. You probably would have gotten shot with Tommy guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 One God time. I was packing. Right. Closest I've got to that is one time I went to a comedy show. Where the comedy show was, this dude was trying to recreate the Philosopher's Stone, or just create the Philosopher's Stone live on stage. He had like a Bunsen burner and like everything. And every show, he tried a different combination of things to make the Philosopher's Stone. Did he explode stuff? I'll get to that. And yeah, he told, he's like, okay. And so outside, someone was saying, oh, the password is Alchemister. And so he'd open the door a little crack and be like, what's the password? Alchemister. Come in. <laughs> And someone was like, I don't know. He's like, you you can't see the show. (laughs) No, you have to know the password. You can ask someone, but you have to say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. It was great. Yeah, but yeah, stuff exploded. He actually, after after the fifth show, he limited himself to mostly paper goods. The show I saw, he did a picture of a wizard to try and make it into the Philosopher's Stone. Because on the fifth show... He used a tube of toothpaste, which exploded. Oh, my God. How do you make that explode? Uh, d- he set fire to it. Ah. Yeah. I didn't know it was... Incredibly flammable. Combustible in yeah. that manner. A uh, tube of it is. Oh, did, like, the pressure build? And the I, I wasn't there. Out? He just said... Yeah, I mean, he just said, I'm no longer using real things. Now it's just drawings. <laughs> And the show was still hilarious because he, you know, had done his research on about alchemy and was very funny about it. Mm. Real inspiration, that guy. Will Seward. Really recommend seeing a show by him if you ever get a chance. Okay. Now this one wasn't as cool. Yeah. Now, 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 <laughs> now it's been shown up. Yeah, but I, I need to give a, a taste of mine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jackie, what? Wait, what's the what's your one going to be, Noel? Because you still haven't actually said. Oh, it's yeah. about I'm bottled sorry. and bond whiskey. Oh. Great. And my story is about Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca, an explorer of America. Ooh. What was he notable for? Exploring America. Use explorer loosely. Ooh. It's it's more like, you know how sometimes flying is like falling gracefully? Yes. He explored in the sense that he survived to the end of it. Oh, goodness. That sounds fun. I hope he fell down many hills. We'll see. How many hills? How many hills, Jackie, did he fall down? Um, no. Was it one? Was it two? Was it three? <laughs> it's unknowable unless you read his account of his journey. Oh. So, so it's very Very knowable. knowable. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. All right, Noel, take us away on 
Bottled and Bond Whiskey. Well, this will be more of uh, kind of covering a lot. I mean, that's probably the main thing about it, but mostly it's about pretty much everything I got from this uh, history tour mm-hmm. that uh going to kind of walk through it. Um, so first off, did not know this, found this out, that Louisville is named after King Louis the Sixteenth uh, because his family is from, and I'm going to mess... Baseball burp. bat France. Yeah. Did Baseball bat right? France? Yeah. Yes. Even with the French, you, you nailed it. <laughs> so uh, Louis is uh, from the, I think it's still said Bourbon, Bourbon area in France, or that mm-hmm. like that's the region I think his, he's originally from. Uh, I think because Louisville was, I don't exactly know when they changed their name over to that because i think it started out as more of a, an outpost town and it later changed its name to louisville outpostville outpostville and then they couldn't find any king named from the outpost region and then they changed it to louisville and so it was just named in his honor not because he was there or from his family was from there no i think it was uh just named in his honor just like, hey, look at this cool king. That's a cool name for a place. Well, yeah, because... Maybe he'll visit. Because bourbon whiskey actually started being brewed in the late 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, now, bourbon whiskey is whiskey that, uh, instead of uh, wheat, I think, as the main ingredient, it's corn. So it's a little bit sweeter. And uh, it's just super popular out in that area. Wait, in France or in Louisville? In Louisville. Yeah. In France, they drink wine. So this outpost town makes bourbon. So they named themselves after someone who is from a region called Bourbon in in France. I I I actually don't That's know that part of it. I just knew that Louisville is was named after King okay. Louis, but I yeah. don't know if it's when they had uh, started to make this kind of unique regional sort of drink, and they were looking for a name for it or what. It was just kind of like had this vague thing of like, yep, wasn't always Louisville. But when it changed its name, it was for King Louis. I assume it was probably then after they had uh, made this kind of new alcohol, but maybe not. I was trying to think of like in Boston, named after Mr. Boston. Yep. Who Mr. Was, John Boston. <laughs> who was from a town in England called Bean, Baked Beans. Yep, called Baked Beans. That's why we're called Bean Town. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And named that's after why that. it's called Boston. That's why it's called Boston. That's correct. And oh, and we make baked beans here. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. From I the mo- that and it was from the molasses region of England, which is why we had so much molasses. Mm. So much it flooded and killed many people. So bourbon. So bourbon. The drink started to become uh, super popular in the mid-19th century. And just the, I think the area in general started to draw in a lot of uh, whiskey distillers and whiskey rectifiers. So whiskey distillers are the ones who actually make, uh, I believe... I'm probably going to get some of these terms wrong, but the whiskey distiller is the person who they make the product that goes in the barrels before it's aged. So they do. Yeah. So they do. They make the mash and they'll often can age on their premise. But there's also whiskey rectifiers who just buy mash and then decide their own aging process, ingredient process, blending, if there is any involved there. So it was starting to become a huge booming um, area just for making all these sorts of spirits. But there was a fly in the ointment. Yes. A pickle in the whiskey. Yes. And by pickle, I mean uh, tobacco, iodine, um, ether, anything that could make something that was not aged properly taste closish to aged whiskey. So this time saw a huge explosion of, uh, there was just no regulation. So you would have these uh, distillers who would you know, make their product, they would age it, they were like, really proud of the product they were making. And then you had these um, rectifiers, not all of them, uh, but some of them who were like, really profit driven, and were like, hey, we could make more money, if we didn't age the whiskey, and we just put weird colorings and chemicals in it, just to make it taste enough like whiskey, and we can sell it. It's like that Simpsons joke with the burglarious Frenchman, who was like, ah, yes, antifreeze, too much is deadly, but just enough, and that is a fun wine. <laughs> Funny you should mention uh, French people from the Simpsons, because I have here a quote 
from Pierre Lacour, not liquor, not like the liquor. It's like more like lacquer. Okay. I just don't. I just, Pierre Lacour. Yeah. Pierre Lacour. Lacour. Liquor. Pierre Licker. Um, Peter Lick. Peter Lick. That's what I'm going to call him. All right. So Peter Lick uh, was one of these rectifiers who would just sell as cheap of a product as he could. And he actually made a book called The Manufacture of Liquors, Wines, and Cordials Without the Aid of Distillation. So he was proud of himself. Oh, yeah. Okay. This quote is, The great secret of success in the manufacture of liquors consists in imparting to the imitation the precise aroma of the genuine and thus obtain an article of spirit as near reality as possible at a far less cost. You killed a lot of people, Pete. We. Wait, did he really kill people? We. Oh, yeah, people got sick and died from just these concoctions. They weren't shooting to kill people, um, but, like, the stuff that they were putting into, you know, was just highly experimental. Like, whatever they could get, they'd be like... Oh, sipped it close enough, put it all in a bottle, and let people drink it by the uh, the glass. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, this won't be worse for people in a larger dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a little bit, and I feel fine. Pierre actually... Um, Which he is would... also my policy on drinking paint. <laughs> Wait, what's your policy on drinking paint? Do Have it. a little bit. Do a little bit. Fine. It's a little bit of paint. Makes you feel pretty good. <laughs> a lot of paint, though. Mm-mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Makes you feel great. <laughs> Oil-based or water-based? Acrylic. A man of taste. I think that's non-toxic. You probably don't feel great. I feel colorful. <laughs> Got that nice bright blue smile. <laughs> <laughs> what if you ate paint if you had poop in colors? Yeah. Yeah, you would. But like the same color or does your stomach bile color. change it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's Always why I've got the same color though. Blue poops. <laughs> I guess actually it would depend if you ate your blue, if like, if you wanted that blue poop, you had to just eat blue paint. Like you couldn't have like blue paint couldn't be your dinner side. Like it had to be the whole meal. I mean, like it depends. Like if you want like a faint bluish tinge, you can have a little bit of blue paint. But if you want pure blue poops, you got to eat a lot of blue paint. And something to give me. Yeah, you got to have something to bond it to. Yeah. 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 So, you know, some fiber, some cheese, some blue, blue paint. For those, blue cheese for, the, for those blue bloops. paint <laughs> bloop, bloop. <laughs> that's the sound it makes when you poop them out too <laughs> so Noel tell us more well I was just gonna say that uh, Pierre his method was he would mix straight ethanol so like Pierre was kind of a bad guy because not just like he it, it wasn't like he was even buying the mash and trying to even just age it up because that would add cost buying that expensive mash from another uh a distributor. So he would just mix ethanol with, let's see, beets, cloves, tree bark. The finest in drinks that makes you go blind. Now, there's also bone black, if you want to take a guess at what that is. That's, I'm going to say char. that's bone char. But bone char of what? Human. No. Cows. <laughs> nope. Uh, otters. Well, I mean, not, but yeah, animals. Not necessarily cows, but. Probably cows. Ha- probably cows. Probably cows. Mm. Hmm. Maybe humans. Maybe sneak a little one in. It's a little bit. For the specialty label. You know, the high-end stuff. Yeah. You get a human bone black. Oh, no. We don't have enough cows to make bone black. It's which, like, oh. which one of you is the lowest earner? <laughs> well, it's like, put them in the little cow costume. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we, we just made enough. We had a little tiny sick cow who was saying, I'm not a cow. It's amazing. Moo, it's amazing moo, Mr. Cow. cow. Moo, moo. It's amazing what cows pretending to be humans can pick up on speech and uh, and walking upright. Thumbs, thumbs, big, big one, big thumbs, big old thumbs. The ability to beg for mercy. The ability to beg, yeah, yeah. The foresight and just the ability to beg for mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, ammonia as well, but not too much ammonia because it would indicate its own presence. Yeah, so <laughs> it'd be like, oh, this tastes like cat piss, but more than usual. Although yeah. apparently, cat piss. Is a legitimate like uh, flavor for wine? Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's not like uh, yeah. Like one an of, ingredient or no, it's not a an ingredient. Profile that comes flavor out. Flavor profile that comes out is cat, cat urine. Yeah, and it's not huh. necessarily a bad like seen as a bad thing, which is wild to me. Yeah, that's, that's it. Probably can't be the dominant flavor. I don't fucking know. I don't know wine. Yeah. <laughs> 
if I ever drink wine and I and I get that cat urine taste, I'm probably putting it down and just being like, this <laughs> this tastes like these litter box smells. I'm going to just put this glass down and I will never drink wine again. All right. Good day to you. <laughs> good day. Your wine tastes like kitty pee. And you're not talking to anyone because you you're alone in a home. room, yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking in a mirror. Good day. Why did you buy this? Why did you buy wine called Little Kitty Pee Wine? <laughs> Je ne sais. So obviously, as time went on, and just people cut more and more corners. People are getting sick and dying of this. It puts a lot of uh, distrust, and people really don't know like what is good, what is bad. And so it kind of actually threatened, you know, the reputation of some of these uh, bourbon makers who are really trying to put out a really good... Um, non-deadly product, or non-deadly yeah. in usual amounts. Non-deadly, yeah. yes, delicious. Yeah. Still deadly, just have less. So um, there is no real regulation at the time that is... Uh, is this the start of ATF? ATF. Oh, the Department of Act. Uh, uh, alcohol, tobacco, uh, alcohol, tobacco so, and firearms. Wow, this, Max, that was hard to say. <laughs> um, not official. Like it didn't find any found any department. But yes, what came out of these need for regulation around the you know the quality and the type of product that people were buying resulted in the uh, Bottled and Bond Act of 1897, which was the first U.S. law that would uh, regulate anything like food or the the Food and Drug Act, I think, was like 1906. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so this one predates like even any regulation on food. <laughs> it was like the first one that actually kind of regulated a, uh, a drink. Yeah, consumable products mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. So I'm sure people are going to fact check me on that one. But cool. Not me, man. Oh, no, I meant our listeners. Yeah, they'll definitely write in. Um, no, Actually, I'm, I'm, we, I'm feeling Fooey might. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fooey is probably going to be like, it's not called MASH. So, MASH was a television show about Vietnam. No, MASH was a childhood game about, about Vietnam. finding the future in Vietnam. <laughs> I don't know if this will make the cut. I'm just having this super dark <laughs> image in my head of these, like, you know, kind of just soldiers uh, hunkered down in, like, Vietnam or, like, in the jungle. And it's like... You know, they're, like, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And, like, they're just, like, playing with those little uh, square <laughs> things, like, one, two, three, four. Uh, or I don't even know how that rhyme works. It's like, pick a number. All right, one, two, three, eight. Okay, okay, pick a body part. Uh, <laughs> uh, arm and... Uh, uh. I don't think you know what this game is. You're going to the Gulf of Tonkin. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen that game since like elementary school, but it's like when you fold up the paper with has like uh Oh that's a fortune teller. Yeah. Is that not what MASH is? No. Oh Max, we'll play MASH later. It's pretty fun. Okay. Also, uh MASH the T V show took place in during the Korean War. But it was a commentary on the Vietnam War. Oh well. Oh well. You're Moving both wrong. On. Oh, we're both wrong. <laughs> cool. Moving on. So yeah, the movement was headed by um, some of these just quality distillers, including a Colonel E.H. Taylor Jr. was kind of the uh, spearhead of the movement. And obviously, it got pushed back from the two groups, obviously, these whiskey rectifiers who wanted to keep making a profit. Um, Damn poisoners don't want their business impeded on. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah. Poor poisoners. Oh, how will I make a profit without all of my poison? You're stifling my industry. <laughs> Stop hitting yourself, if poisoners. If people want to drink poison, they should be able to. If I want to put a funnel in someone's mouth and tip a big bottle with a skull and crossbones into that funnel, I should be able to do so. If I want to burn a man dressed in a cow costume and mash up his bones and put him into ethanol and sell it to people and say it's whiskey... I should be able to do that. Upton Sinclair hasn't even been born yet. They can't say anything. They can't write an expose about this that will change the f food and drug industry forever. The Downer book. Oof. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. I've only read about it. Me too. Oof. It's one of those constantly the underdog who, like, never wins. It's, yeah, it's, oof. Oof. Yeah, it's a really heavy, it's a heavy read. I'd imagine. It's an expose about how people would die and just get mashed into food. Yep. Yep. So move past it. Move past it, buddy. Stick um, move. So under Grover Cleveland 
1897. Mm -hmm. They finally passed this Bottled and Bond Act. And so how this act is, the idea of bonding a warehouse, particularly for alcohol, is not was not a new concept. It's the idea is that kind of like it's almost like a quality control to say, you know, some group, sometimes a government, sometimes just, you know, whoever has some form of reputation uh, helps in, you know, strict logging and regulation and management of food product in a warehouse. And so it's just this idea that you kind of have this uh, third party to your process besides like you and the consumer. So the consumer knows, okay, this is like, no, like this actually has someone's like uh, guarantee or yeah. bond of, yeah. the, the, of the quality. Yeah. And that's when you expand to vertical integration. Take over the government. <laughs> <laughs> the government's going to oversee it. We got to get them in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm the bonder and the brewer. Let's get that Let's thumb in this pie. Here it goes. Oh, wait a minute. I went too far. I'm the consumer. No. (laughs) No, my pie. So bottled and bond is uh, the federal government um, would levy a tax on whiskey that is sold out of the warehouse. But in exchange, the regulation that they're giving, um, there are four criterias for what a bottled in bond entails. It's literally everything that would go through no matter what distiller did this. Okay, yeah. So a distiller had to produce it at their own distillery. They had to make their product during a single distilling season. Um, so they had to get, like, they couldn't just say, like, oh, we got some leftover mash from last year. Let's just mix it all up together. They had to age it for at least four years, and um, they couldn't put any other product into it besides water. And all the bottles had to be exactly 100 proof, so 50% alcohol. And so anything other than that, they would not put it into a uh, special bottle with a non-tamperable cap and a seal on it. It says bottled in bond to make sure that if people were buying this product, they knew they weren't going to go blind and die. Oh, it's like the German beer purity laws. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It, to this day, Germany has uh, strict beer purity laws that were established like centuries ago, I think. Where you can't make beer with anything other than the four ingredients of barley, hops, yeast, and sugar, I want to say, and water. Hmm. Yeah. And so anything other than that is not allowed in beer. So all of their beer is, is just just those four things in different ratios. They don't have adjuncts like we do in the States. They don't have all sorts of stuff, you know. Interesting. Now, yeah. can they... Like, for example, there's a lot of fruit-flavored beers. Are they able to get around that with the idea of, like, oh, well, you know, like, fructose is sugar, or is the sugar definition, like, it's strict. super strict? Super wow. strict, yeah. No, um, it's it's a whole thing. Yeah, they if they want a fruit flavor, they have to find, like, a yeast and a hop that will give it fruit flavor. So they've had to, like, work within those very strict requirements for a long time. They've gotten really good at finding these flavors and finding these things and making really good beer with just that. I'm surprised they haven't just changed the rules. It's part of their culture at this point. Hmm. Part of their heritage. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the act passes uh, despite some pushback from whiskey rectifiers, other, you know, even blenders, people who just will want to blend mashes of whiskey or aged whiskey and uh, just sell that product. But for a while, yeah, that's the that's kind of the only, uh, you know, kind of government signed off. Yep, this is uh, this is a good quality product that, you know, you can you can buy and not not die. Mm. Not not take a gamble. That's a low bar. It's, it's a low, low bar, bar, but it you know it it needed a first step. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get into a low bar, you got to go down some stairs and say a little password into an eye hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one uh, uh, last little fun fact about this is that yeah, eight. I did math wrong. Uh, nine years later, the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act would uh, be passed, and some of these. Whiskey rectifiers like still wanted to get sort of in this game, um, and they wanted to kind of just change and like change the definition of things like what is a straight whiskey versus like what can we call our product? Like, can we give it a generic label of whiskey? 
things like that. But it's whiskey well, with two V's instead of a W, and then <laughs> you can you sell whatever you want. The whiskey. But one of the just funny notes about. I would love about... to drink a whiskey called Vivavisky. All the Vivavisky and Vivotter. <laughs> Entirely made of bones. It's just, it's just... Are there bones in this Vivotter? <laughs> it's not. It's not even liquid. Clickety clack clack clickety clack clack clack. Crunch crunch. Mmm, goes down smooth. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jackie, you liked that way more than I thought you would. This is like exhausted marathoner on like the 25th mile, and people are just holding up cups to him. He just like splashes. His bones fly everywhere. He's like, oh! He's just running again. <laughs> There's just like all those water stations, like where people just like, you know, run by the splash. It's just like literally just bones littered on the entire street. Well, you use it as caltrops to slow your slow yeah. people behind you, slow your competitors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just have like weird Gatorade commercials where like Gatorade hydrates you differently. You just see a man running and little tiny bones coming out of his head. <laughs> They're still bright blue though. Bones. Are they in you? <laughs> but uh, one little funny little anecdote during this sort of uh, still early period of regulation. And obviously, you know, nowadays because of the, you know, Pure Food and Drug Act and other like long regulations obviously if you buy anything that's not bottled in bond you won't die because there's plenty of protections and safeties in there now but you can still get them today like but they still have to be i think of those four criteria um to get that you know kind of just bottled in bond um but during that movement where they were kind of fighting over sort of terms and some of those regulations Apparently, the straight whiskey producers got the support of the Women's Christian Temperance Union behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, because, that's, that's ironic. Because, well, because their product was more natural. Like, it was more, it was not like one of these kind of like, well, I don't know what's going into this. And like, oh, this is just like the only one that's like kind of produced all naturally. So they, they got them on their side. Yeah. I guess if you're trying to cut down on the vices of alcohol, you should put your horse in the race behind actual alcohol and not things that will straight up kill you. That horse is drunk. (laughs) (laughs) He's just crunching on bones. You can lead a horse to a pile of bones, but you can't make him drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Easy boy. (laughs) This little feed bag strapped to his face. Just horrified look in his eyes. Just drawing up from a well. You just put a bucket down and you pick it up and just bones. So, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was it. So it was really cool. Uh, if anyone is out in Louisville, if you're a fan of whiskey, definitely check out that Evan Williams history tour. One of Kate's best friends lives in Louisville. We've been meeting to, be, to visit them for a while. So, Ooh, we'll all right. That. Yeah. 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 So, what would you add to whiskey that's not bones oh, to shoot. improve its flavor so you can sell it more easily? To just stretch it a bit? Yeah. Stretch um. out that whiskey. Hmm. All right. I would go to my local saloons, pick up their spittoons with their leftover chewing tobacco. So some saloon they- spittoons with some tobacco chewings? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the... Tobacco was one of the things that they would put in. For yeah, but coloring. mine is used, Yours so is I don't used. even have to pay for so it. So there'd be alcohol and tobacco in there. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, tobacco, um, and some firearms to round it out. <laughs> just, yep. just crack open some bullets, mm-hmm. pour in some gunpowder, gun get yeah. a little bitter taste in mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, stir it all up. Maybe some leftover tea bags. Mm-hmm. Um, some loose loose tea leaves in there. Get some interesting aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, water. Stretch it with water. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, coffee grounds and probably um also the water. I like wash my shoes. So in. just a real thick dark slurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, filter it. At yeah. Some yeah. Point, so you you strain it out through yeah. like a coffee filter. Strain it out, and I'd probably put a little bit of uh, real alcohol in there too. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So up to this point, it's just been those things. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is just foot water. But it's the mix. It's the mix. It's the mix, the mix that, that they go it. wild for. Yep. Mm-hmm. How about you, Noel? 
I'm I'm really uh this is a really good list <laughs> of many things. Yeah, so. there's a lot of stuff in there, Jackie. Um, Gotta keep the palette guessing. <laughs> it's her patented technique of palette confusion. I mean, it seems it seems like the best strategy because yeah. if I only put chewing tobacco in there, you'd sure. be like, "This tastes like chewing tobacco." But all of it in there, you're like, "This is a heady, peaty aroma." Mm-hmm. Mm. And I would also market to children so that their first drink of whiskey is my whiskey, and they don't know the difference. And they're like, "This is what it should taste like." I stole this from my uncle's liquor cabinet, and I feel dizzy and all hopped up on nicotine. Let's do crimes! It would. It would give you a little, little bit of a yeah, high. A little bit of a high. Yeah. yeah. Then a lot of a low as you vomit profusely. Yeah. I, I think that blend combined with marketing to children. Sure. I'd do all right. No? I mean, I think the coffee grounds is a good idea for color and, you know, kind of getting a, a bittery kind of flavor in there with the alcohol. What else would I put in there? It was super cheap. How expensive were eggs back then? They're pretty cheap. Yeah. They're a staple food. I don't know. Maybe I'd, I'd put some eggs in there. Whole eggs? Eggshells? No, no, the no. Inside parts? Just like, you well, know, you just skip... crack an egg on the bottle and just kind of... Oh. Well, you could skip the bones if you used an eggshell. Got a point. Yeah. Got a point. I would put better whiskey in my whiskey. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I'd be like, ah, oh, it's the whiskey that tastes like better whiskey. How will this lead to profits? I'd steal it. Ah, uh, mm, yeah. okay, okay, plan. yeah. Good plan. I don't know, maybe I'd just give them water then if I'm really trying to lower cost. <laughs> <laughs> the hydrating whiskey. <laughs> the whiskey you can drink at a marathon. Yeah. It's a pick-me-up whiskey. Uh, drink it. Drink the whole thing at once and you'll you, you just kind of generally feel better. It's not bones. <laughs> That's the motto of my whiskey is, it's not bones. No bone whiskey. My Max. It's got my face in the bottle with a little wink and a little smile. Established 1831. No bone since 1857. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we'll take our little mid-roll break here. Hey, welcome to the break. It's me, Max. Noel and Jackie are here, too. It's the break. So, uh, yeah. Hi. I want to just talk to you. This is the break. It's time to chill out, relax. Just, you know, have some real talk. You know, to to rap together. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Are you talking to us? I'm talking to the audience. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you can talk, too. No, no. You made it clear. Okay. But uh, if you like our show... We would love to hear from you, whether online, via review, uh, send us an email, or just like yell out your window and hope we're nearby and that we can hear and respond. We'll yell back. Hold on, let's listen now. No yells. I don't hear any yells. No yells at all. If you want to contact us, uh, other than through the medium of reviews or yelling uh you can uh email us at it's anachronismo gmail.com or you can uh look us up on twitter at at anac podcast that's anec podcast actually today we had a listener uh write to us on our on our twitter and recommend a story for us to check out so that is brother trebius that's at uh crag heart spelled c-r-a-i-c-r-a-i-g-h-a-r-d-t I recommend that we check out Ada Blackjack if we haven't seen it before, seen her before and her story before. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research into her. Bring so that in. This is a man named Craig Hart. Well, his Twitter handle is his name on Twitter is Brother Trabius, and uh, he's at Craig Hart. But uh, I thought if, you said Craig Hart at first. Yeah. Anyway, Craig, uh, Craig or Craig Hart. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for the recommendation. We're gonna check check uh, check check her out. It looks like she's a really fascinating fascinating story on a future podcast. Ooh, cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, and uh, of course we're part of the Make Fun Network, which has some other wonderful shows. Top Five of Death, This Rules, This Sucks, both uh, just a blast to to listen to with uh, the wonderful Matt Bistany uh, and et al. Can I make a quick plug? Totally. For people who like what our show, yeah. there was recently an article in the New York Times that I think you would enjoy, where they just pulled out some of their kookiest stories that they've ever um, that they've ever published. From I think they're mostly around like the 1910s ish and late 1800s, and it's just a lot of stuff about goats, uh, ghosts, ghost goats, ghost goats. 
Um, it's just it's just very kooky. A lot of stuff about the Loch Ness monster. Just a lot of fun stuff that you're like, how did this end up in the newspaper? Mm-hmm. And in the newspaper of record, the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a fabulous story about a woman who had a parrot that no one liked, and the parrot. <laughs> so a parrot. <laughs> but the parrot would um, he would nibble off the little protectors at the end of like a, a gas stove yeah. to get high on the gas. <laughs> Um, and it, it, it leads to tragedy, but the article itself is very enjoyable. So check that out. Definitely. Wow. Just a real fucked up parrot. Mm-hmm. That does sound fun. I'll check that out. No, anything you want to plug? Um, no, I was just kind of thinking about that parrot and just what I assumed happened. And I assume like what the firefighters are <laughs> like people trying to trace that back. was like, I don't know. I think this old lady burned it down for insurance money. <laughs> No, it wouldn't be the bird. That old lady was at that oven nibbling off those safety ends. Look, this is clearly a denture mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to ruin it for you guys or the listeners, so I'll, I'll tell you about it later, Noel. Oh, cool. Tell you what the real story is. Well, we'll check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so uh, if there's no other plugs, we're going to get you back to the show. Hey, welcome back. That was the break. Wasn't they great? Didn't they have some nice plugs? And weren't you happy to hear your fellow listener be featured? Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That was exciting. Yeah. So, Jackie, you've got a story for us. Oh, yes. My story is about Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca, an explorer of America from Spain. Guardian. I don't know what Nunez means. Cabeza is head mm-hmm. and of cow. Cabaca yes. is cow. Yes. So, so, short aside, because I was also curious. So, he's the guardian of a cow's head. <laughs> Guardian of Cowhead. Is he a shepherd? No. Guardian of Cowhead. Now, is this a name or is it a description? It's a name. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, things are cooler in Spanish. Yeah. Because Spanish names are really cool. Yeah. It's just head of a cow. Mm -hmm. Um, And the story behind that is that in 1212, one of his ancestors revealed to the king of Spain a secret mountain pass Mm -hmm. that was marked only by a cow's skull on the side, like next to it, like you had to follow the cow's skull to find the secret pass through the mountains. Oh, cool. And this pass um, enabled the king to beat the, um, what group was it? I think it was the Moors in some sort of battle. Mm -hmm. So then this ancestor became known as Cabeza de Vaca. Which sounds very cool in Spanish, but it would be like if your great uncle was like, oh, yeah, make a right at the red truck. And then your whole family became known as Red Truck. <laughs> Honestly, Robert Red Truck is a pretty awesome name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, Ro- that's what Ro- Robert Redford. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Robert Redford is named after that. <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly. That's almost certainly. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, it's like someone gave directions, and then that became your family's name. It's so good. Yeah, there there surely would have been something like about that battle of like great victory or something like really cool. But just... no, your name's Cowhead. Cowhead. Yeah. Thanks, Cowhead. It's not like you're welcome, man who made it all possible. No. Yeah, we're gonna call you Cowhead. Cowhead. Like I don't know what cunning victory is in Spanish, but I feel like it would sound cool and be like a cool title to mm-hmm. have then. Yeah, or oh, even yeah. like Secret Path or yeah. something would be a cooler name. Yeah. Pretty much everything but Cowhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cabeza de Vaca mm-hmm. was born around 1490. Um, he was born to like a minor Spanish nobility family. Uh, not too much is known about his early life, but he joined the military in 1511. Mm-hmm. And he, he made a decent name for himself. Eventually, in 1527, he becomes part of a royal expedition to occupy the mainland of North America. And he's led by the conquistador Panfilo de Narvarez. So Cabeza de Vaca served as the treasurer for this expedition. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get a good figure of how many men there were or how many ships. But like just the, the amount of tragedy that I'm going to say later. Just imagine they started with a lot of people because otherwise I don't know how they had these numbers. Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> this yeah. is ominous. Yeah, this is all. This is. <laughs> oh so my! They get across the Atlantic. Everything's perfectly fine. No, no good story ever starts with everything's personally. <laughs> everything's perfectly fine. Yeah, 
Um, so their mission is to basically explore Florida, yeah. which is bigger than current day Florida. It's actually most of like southeastern United States. Mm-hmm. So they they have five ships, mm-hmm. and they're on their way to explore Florida. Um, and they're supposed to go to a town called Panuco. So on their way, they stop at Hispan- Hispaniola, the island, and there are 150 people who are in their expedition decide they're just going to stay there. I wasn't... I so far, that's not too bad. I, okay. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. Um, I couldn't like, find hey, this, why. This is a great, it's a great place. They yeah. were probably like, I'm done. I don't like boats. Look at, look at this beautiful island. Maybe it's mutiny. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> look at this place. There's these crazy trees. Look at how fun they are. There's all this fish in the water. I don't need... This is beautiful here. Yeah. I'm done yeah. with boats. Yeah. I got so much scurvy. Hmm. So now my current guess is how big this party was had to be has to be big enough that two hundo doesn't make that big of a difference. Or five hundred or two hundred. Um, hundred and fifty. Hundred and fifty. Hundred and fifty. Okay. No. No. Okay. No. That. So it's got to be. It's got to be well over three hundred at least. Yeah, because right? there's not enough to be like, okay, you 150 people, we can't make you leave. Yeah, because there's only like 25 people more than that. It's like, yeah. this is not the point where it's like, so, okay, we're 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 done. That's everybody. Yeah. So it, it was just confusing because they're they're going to gain and lose people, and it just gain it... people. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, they lost 150 people, okay, so but... they need to get more people for the expedition. Okay, from where? They decide to uh, go to Cuba. Oh, and get yeah. people. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this wasn't like they're enslaving people to join their expedition. I think they were just like going around the ports that already had Spanish people and okay, were like, okay, "Hey, okay. come join our expedition! Okay, you're already okay. an adventurer because you're here." <laughs> so the fleet then goes to Cuba, where they face a hurricane. They lose two ships and a lot of men. Okay. So they have to get a new boat then, because two of their ships are gone. Gone. So they have to get a new boat in Cuba, and then they head off for Florida because you know everything's going great so far. In March of 1528, they land near Tampa Bay, which is kind of near St. St. Petersburg, Florida now. I mean, Tampa Bay exists now, too, but just yeah, for, for an idea. But it's it worse is. now. <laughs> um, and when they're there, they claim it for Spain. And by the time they get there, there's only um, 60 guys. I'm sorry, not six guys. They lose 60 men. Okay. My, my oh. That's a lot of casualties yeah. Yeah, for sorry. a fleet. <laughs> my, my shorthand was just arrow 60 men. Yeah. But that doesn't make sense based on the next part of the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're at negative men. We Sorry. gotta stretch, just like stretching out whiskey. We gotta stretch out these sixty men, make them several hundred. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys, I wrote these notes yesterday. It's That's hard okay. to come back. To. That's okay. We can fill out the numbers with bones. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just like some tobacco spit and bones. <laughs> That's a man. What do you think, Sergeant? <laughs> Garbed tar bone thing, like. Yeah, so they get to they get to Tampa Bay and they they claim it for Spain. They lose sixty men in this whole process. Um, so they decide to split forces into those who are going to be on the land and those that are going to be on the sea. Because when they get there, the local people tell them about a town called Appalachian that supposedly has a lot of food and gold. And these guys they're not doing well because mm-hmm. they just were through a hurricane and sure. lost sixty yeah. guys. They want to eat that gold and, and trade with that food. Mm-hmm. So half of them decide to go to Panuco, <laughs> and the other half will go inland to go to Appalachian. So they get there to, to Appalachian, and there is only corn. There is no gold. There's not that much food. It's just corn. So the people huh. in Appalachian tell them, oh, well, you should go to a town called Aute. Aute? A-U-T-E. Okay. That's what I'm assuming it's pronounced. Because that's also full of food and gold. And it's about a nine-day walk away. So they go and walk, and um, lo and behold, it is not filled with food and gold. It's actually a burned-out town because the people pretty much ran away because they heard that the Spanish people were coming. So they had burned their whole town to the ground. But they they didn't get a chance to harvest the crops. So these Spanish people who are kind of bedraggled and they've been, been um, sort of picked off along the way during their their walk to this town so they're not doing well but they're able to like scavenge together some of the food that was left in the fields so they're they're really not doing too hot and i should have mentioned this before but they they never meet the other half of oh no yeah i don't know what happened to them they they died probably probably got eaten by there's a little town full of treasure at the bottom of this ocean (laughs) all right man 
Here we go. Hope you can hold your breath. I know I can. Uh, oh no, General Tarbone is dissolving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. And he was just three weeks from retirement. <laughs> oh, man. So the Spanish men, not doing so hot. They're still getting over the hurricane. They're starting to suffer from disease. They don't have very much food. They're being uh, picked at by the Native Americans. And they're, they're just, they're not doing well. They end up living in the swamp. Uh, they end up having to eat their horses. And ride on their food. <laughs> <laughs> you just put a big old pile of corn. Careful, don't, yeah. don't sneak up behind that food. It'll get you. It'll corn you right in the eye. You can lead food to water, but you can't make it drink. <laughs> so, Why did you get sad for that one? Well, no, it... it well, a lot, their... okay, a so lot of them died. Okay, so they had to eat their horses, and a lot of them died. Mm -hmm. At this point, there's only fif 15. Mm -hmm. There's only 15 guys left. So in 1528, they decide that they need to they need to just try and make it to Panuco because they're not doing well. The interior was a bad idea. They shouldn't have gone in. So they uh, scavenged together five rafts. I'm sorry, my numbers are not making sense. They're not down to 15 yet. Okay. They're not down to 15 yet. They're still down to 60. Okay. Sorry, guys. You want to say, just I have a feeling that 15 number is going to come up pretty soon, though. <laughs> so by now it's 1528. They're living in the swamp. They decided to make it back to Panuco. So they scramble together and they make five rafts made of trees and horse hides. Oh, I guess they had, no. the, they had the presence of mind they're to the, save the skins. They're still riding those horses. Mm -hmm. And they ended up having to like make a, their own bellows and melt down like scrap bits of metal so that they could actually nail together some wood to make these rafts. So they're sailing down the Mississippi River. And they get hit by a hurricane. <laughs> no, it came back. <laughs> yep. It came back no. for them. Yeah, they get hit by a hurricane. They're swept into the Gulf. Narvaez dies. He dies in this hurricane. They're not doing so hot. They've got the hurricane. They're dying of thirst. They're dying of starvation. They lose another 80 people. And then the hurricane dumps them off near Galveston, Texas, onto an island. Oh, this is where the 15 come in. Sorry, guys. Only 15 people survive the winter. They named the island Malhado, or Ill Fate, or Island of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so not, that not, one sounded pretty cool in English. Yeah, not, no, yeah, not, not a fan of that island. No, 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 no. Not good. Their rafts were destroyed, uh -huh. but it's, it's a little more tragic than that. So they're on this island, and they're like, we were hit by this hurricane. We need to rebuild our rafts. So they rebuild their rafts. They use their last scraps of clothes to like plug up the holes in the rafts. Just so they're naked at this point. So yeah, they're naked. And then a big wave comes and takes all their oh. rafts. It's so sad. Oh my god. It's so sad. Uh, did one of them just like piss off a witch before they left? I don't know. Jeez. I don't know. That's a real kick in the dick from God, huh? Yeah. Um and, and this island did have people on it. And they were initially welcomed by the native people. But then about half of the native, native people died of a bowel disease, almost certainly brought yeah. about by the diseases of the Spanish people. I think they figured that out, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why yeah, they blamed them uh -huh. and then offered them no help. Yeah. So the people who were left of this expedition ended up living in East Texas for about four years. They lived amongst the hands and the capoques. So how'd they get off the Island of Doom? I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't see they were, that. They probably had to swim. It's like, yeah. guys, this is a peninsula. <laughs> you can just... This is the peninsula of doom. <laughs> that guys, would be just, very funny. You could have just left whenever you wanted to. <laughs> just walk up north. Mm. We're in Florida. They're in East Texas now. Okay, okay. You wouldn't think you could get off the island, but if you find this little, there's a cow head over there, and it's actually really shallow over there, and you could just get right off. It's basically an isthmus. God damn it. <laughs> so they end up in, in Texas. Yeah. Um, so I said they lived amongst the Huns and Capoques, but it's really unclear if they were enslaved by them or if they just lived together. And um, our friend Cabeza day vaca was just unused to the hard work that was required of living this way because he started out he was like a bookkeeper right yeah he was the treasurer and he yeah. was from a minor noble home yeah so he wouldn't he wouldn't be like working in the fields yeah 
He was not cut out for this no. expedition. He didn't come. He just thought him. he was going to be counting money. It's amazing <laughs> that he that he lived this long, really. Yeah, with those yeah. soft hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was in the military, and I think he saw he saw some some action there. So it wasn't like he was, and he was up for an adventure like this. So he must have had some sort of uh, hard hands. Some hard hands. A yeah. real hard-handed man. <laughs> so by 1532, only three other people from this expedition are alive. And they are Alonso de, del Castillo Maltinado, mm. André Durantes de Caranca, and Esteban, a um, a Moroccan slave. Oh. Yeah. So only four of them remained at this point. And during the, the four years that they lived among the Hans and the Coques... You really think they would have freed Esteban by this point. <laughs> Clearly God is favoring this man. <laughs> No. Or, I mean, you know, if... if the most favored probably died during that first hurricane. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, no, they got off the island. Mm-hmm. But they got off on Hispaniola. Right. But I don't, I don't know. The history of Hispaniola is not too great, so... They probably didn't, you know, eat this much shit, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, like, one thing after another for yeah. these guys. So what happened with those four? So They um, lived happily ever after? Mm, yes Aww. and no. Yes and no. Yes and no. It's okay. They um, lived... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the message of this story. It's just this guy's famous because he lived, <laughs> but he actually did do some cool stuff. So while he was living among the Native Americans, he became a trader and a bit of a healer. He eventually had some more freedom of movement because he actually became like pretty renowned healer. Um, and he used the same methods that the the Native peoples did, but he also said that he had the power of Jesus behind him, so that's why he was a good healer. Who knows? Um, so he basically becomes a faith healer. He starts getting like an entourage of native peoples as well as um, his three companions. And for the next eight years, they just sort of wander around. They end up going all the way to the west side of Mexico and then walking, or I assume they probably had horses or something at some point. But they go all the way to the west part of Mexico and then they come they come down and like back to the middle to Mexico City. Because over those eight years of uh, living among the native people and, you know, trading and faith healing, um, they decide that they're going to try and meet up with the Spanish again. They just were, were tired. Remember us? <laughs> <laughs> I know we look like shit. There's a reason. <laughs> Wait till you hear what happened, Noah. <laughs> oh yeah, truly. Uh, um, yup, it's like one of those movie things. He's just like walking towards Mexico. Yup, that's me. But how did I get here? It's like twelve years, years earlier. earlier. <laughs> that's right. I kicked the huh. Pope in the dick. Are those storm clouds? <laughs> oh. oh. So some of the cool stuff about about Cabeza de Vaca was that he really was one of the first old world men to see the American West. So that's. So that's something. That's something. Yeah. He was yeah. first. He was first. He was first. Mm-hmm. So he travels from Texas to New Mexico to Arizona and then through the northern provinces of Mexico. And in July 1536, he ends up meeting up with a group of Spaniards who were out on a slave-taking expedition. Hmm. And they were very surprised at his dress and all of his native companions. As you can imagine, the Spanish were not nice to the native people. So to see a group of three Spanish men... And and their slave with the the natives was like a bit of a shock. And over this time, Cabeza de Vaca kind of gets a soft spot for the native peoples because I mean they're literally his companions mm-hmm. for eight years. You yeah. know, if you see people, you like, tend, oh, these bastards again. <laughs> God, you tend you tend to like them, yeah, or at least get used to them. Mm-hmm. And by that point, he had freedom of movement and wasn't enslaved if he even had been enslaved to begin with so in 1537 he returns to spain finally he made it out he made it he made it he out made it out i have no idea what happened to any of his companions no idea it's probably best not to speculate they, i'm gonna say they made hurricane it out hurricane. <laughs> hurricane a hurricane waited for them in an alleyway and just <laughs> beat the shit out of him <laughs> wearing a big old coat holding some brass knuckles so actually, the the one thing that's really actually pretty cool about Cabeza de Vaca is that he decided to write down all of his adventures. 
Advent that seems like really lame. All of his uh his trials and tribulations and uh you know, just all the awful things that happened to him. He wrote them down. Um and it, his book is called The Relation of Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca. Um very literal title. Mm-hmm. Um and this was published in 1542. And it was the first European book dedicated entirely to North America. And he really took a perspective of where he wasn't just describing what happened to him. He really took the time to describe the customs of the native people, describe the flora, the fauna, the the earth, the customs. He was really kind of like, um, I saw him described as a proto-anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Like he really took the time to describe the people, what they do, what their society is like. Cool. For many native peoples, it's the only written account that... Uh, the Western world had of them because by the time they had uh, that region had a second touch point with Europeans, they had just disappeared, possibly from diseases they contracted from Cabeza and his companions. So he was the first to write it down, probably the one to kill them. <laughs> yeah. So a little a bittersweet there. A real yeah. death um, note. Yeah. So in 1540, he went back. Why? What? <laughs> Why would you go back? <laughs> Because he was a territorial governor in Argentina. Good for him, kind of. Yeah, he got a he got a good post. Yeah, and he yeah. went back, and he probably missed it. And it was Honestly, his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really, some Stockholm syndrome. I mean, after all the terrible things happened, he was eight years a guy with like a, an entourage of people following around, following yeah. him around yeah, for being he, a faith healer. Yeah. So. No, he probably missed it. So he came back to be a governor, and he was known for his unusual, at the time, lenient attitude towards the native peoples. Unlike the rest of the Spanish, he didn't want to force them into labor to build stuff. Yeah, the Spanish really dicked over a lot of the native people of the Americas. Yes. They had a whole system whereby they were granted land, and basically everyone on that land was their slave until they no longer held the title of that land. And because the land grants were for such short periods of time, like five to ten years, they're usually just like, hey, let's just work the hell out of these people while we have this land, because <laughs> I do not have a long-term interest in here, rather than cultivating things long-term that might help me and these people. Mm-hmm. Or like, or hey, even just stuff that's not like... Incredibly ruinous. There's just like, hey, let's just let's just fuck the shit out of this place and take everything. Mm-hmm. And he didn't share that point of view, so he was uh, almost universally disliked by the rest of the uh, the Spanish ruling class there. Um, and he was eventually accused of corruption and um, forced to go back to Spain to stand trial. And he was eventually pardoned because I think they realized that it was just because people didn't like him and his attitude towards not. Uh, Working to death the native people. Yeah. Then did he go back again? He didn't. He <laughs> um, he died poor and semi-disgraced in Seville. Just a few years after he was sent there for a trial. So yeah, this was a mixed bag of a story. Yeah. But he survived some stuff. Yep. He had a semi-enlightened perspective on native peoples. And he wrote the first book about North America. Interesting yeah. guy. I'd, I, I'd read that book. Yeah, I'm curious about yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds cool. Oh, yeah. I love a good, I do enjoy a good travelogue. And yeah. God, it sounds, it sounds like it's got some ups and downs. Mostly yeah. downs. Mostly downs. Mostly downs. Um, and that's also part of why the story is a little mismatched because yeah. he never, um, he, he wrote it down after the fact. Yeah. So it's like, you know, 12 years of Yeah, it's pretty happening. condensed. And also it's like, hey, I got kicked in the dick eight times in a row. And also you're super struggling. So you don't know yeah. where you are yeah. at times. And, I don't know. If you asked me what I did yesterday, I probably couldn't tell you straight. But I'd say overall, cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. Saw some stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Super interesting life. Yeah. Jeez. But like for all of going through this with those three other men, like Esteban gets one line in his whole recounting. One line. One line. Kind of a dick move, Alvar. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So he evolved for the time, but... uh, Still kind of a dick. Perhaps not great. Yeah. Maybe he deserved that what happened to him. (laughs) Maybe he deserved it, you know? Yeah. So sorry that didn't have a neat neat little button up, but like most of the past, nothing is great and nothing... You know, a lot... Everything's uh, bad and nothing is... History is one damn thing happening after another. Yeah. The things that are good are... Yeah. yeah. There are many stories we tell on the show that end is they died poor. Yeah. <laughs> like poor and alone yeah. in a city somewhere. I I'm going to choose to view this as um telling the story of a man who lived among the native peoples and developed a fondness and compassion for them. Mm. Unlike 
his time and he wrote about them. I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Yeah. And he had a fun name. He did have a fun name. What would the name of your family be for an accomplishment that you made? Oh. Accomplishment okay. that, that I've made or a, someone that your family, family made? Uh, you, you or your family. We'll open it up to that. I'm trying to think. I, I'm, I'm really trying to think of like the most kind of mundane detail mm-hmm. about something. I feel like I don't have any. So you have good family stories. I have some pretty good family stories. I've got, I've got, I've had an interesting family. I don't think I have. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, if I want to go with like the big one, like I've got what my what great uncle a couple times removed was the prime minister of Austria. You know, and that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, but I don't think I'd go with that. Because uh, you want to go with one that makes you have a lame family name. Exactly, exactly. And I've got a few there. Uh, according to my great aunt Susie, who is just the coolest, who is 95 years old and lived through World War II and the Holocaust, which she refers to as the Hitler times. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got some great stories about the family. There's a couple. There's one of my cousin, great, you know, old, old cousins. He was like a pilot and like apparently wanted to be seen as special. So he'd do stuff like go into bars and order a warm lager. <laughs> um, my great, great grandfather or something was a uh, a jam merchant and he would keep a, a jar of jam under his bed and he would uh, at night he would dip a finger in the jar of jam and lick it at night you know how many uh, teeth did he have i don't that's not what the point of the story is <laughs> uh and so you know and then one night so he dipped his finger into his chamber pot and licked it <laughs> yeah and if you don't know the chamber pot is what they pooped and peed in <laughs> Oof. And uh, he stopped. He stopped doing that. After Why that. did he keep them that close together? <laughs> you know what? He uh, he got too comfortable. Yeah, he got too comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's like he knows, but he's just like, yeah. I can't break the habit. <laughs> um, my grandfather, my dad's dad, my grandfather, my grandpa Fred, uh, was in World War II and D Day, and he, uh, according to family legend, myth and legend, he. Um, Deliberately got on the, the the back at the back at the very last like transport to so be the last on right on the oh, very no. last jeep and here's the thing they don't tell you is they turned him around <laughs> so that he was the first off. Fired. Yeah, he survived. Uh, did, yeah. So <laughs> it's still bad. It backfired pretty bad. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, but uh, it's pretty funny. It is. <laughs> Both my grand parents were uh or both my grandfathers were in the navy so mm-hmm. i don't know that maybe they were the ones that <laughs> that dropped your grandfather <laughs> off go well, at him <laughs> well he was uh he was in the british armed forces oh okay yeah. but i think it's a pretty funny story i thought my grandpa had a desk job in world war ii mm-hmm. and his war injury is that a file cabinet fell on his hand <laughs> and he broke his finger <laughs> So oh, file, very cabinet. Good. file cabinet, file cabinet, file cabinet, file cabinet. It's pretty good. I, I got so I've got jam pot. <laughs> I've got prime minister. I've got uh, D Day reversal. <laughs> uh, mine will be uh, Tumble Hill. Oh, I'm gonna do that. That's good. Tumble yeah. Hill. Tumble Hill. What happened with that? <laughs> oh, is this <laughs> the, the one story with my dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One time, uh, uh, in his. Younger years, my uh, dad had been at a uh, picnic, yeah, and like a company picnic, got super drunk uh, with his friend, and he, uh, I don't know exactly how it happened, but he fell like down the hill, like towards the parking lot uh, at the edge of the party, yeah, and his friend had no idea where he had gone, uh-huh. so he kind of picked himself up, you know, kind of covered in like leaves and mud and stuff, and he. He just was like, oh, I got to sleep this off. So he he gets, he opens the car, falls uh, asleep in the back seat, wakes up to the sound of this woman screaming because apparently they had the same like model car and they had parked like uh, just a few spaces away from each other and she had left her door unlocked. So she just came back to this like, just like... Uh, like three hundred pound plus guy just sleeping in the back of her car covered in mud. Jeez, and oh, that's very funny. Yeah, so I think we lost the point of the story. Well, that's that's they the name of that's his family very name. Very cool stories that get reduced to 
a dumb phrase that your family gets named uh, Tumble Hill. <laughs> Tumble Hill. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's not so that's much an accomplishment. It's just, it's a good name, though, Tumble Hill. Tumble work whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be, yeah, work whoopsie. Uh, work whoopsie. Like whoopsie work. Whoopsie work. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is a, a cool name I might have? Poop finger. Yeah. Oh, yeah, poop finger. Poop finger. There you go. Poop finger. Yeah. And Jackie, uh, filing cabinet. <laughs> Sounds good. Fine. All right. Christ. Uh, I I like work whoopsie better than whoopsie work. Whoopsie, okay. Work whoopsie. Whoop, yeah, work whoopsie. Huh. Yeah. Because it's like a, it's something. Respectfully it's, disagree. <laughs> whoopsie work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the work whoopsie like is like the better description, but yeah. whoopsie work has the better sound, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That's okay. Yeah. I'm going to do whoopsie work. It's your family. Yeah. You pick the name. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us tonight. I'm Poopfinger. I'm File Cabinet. I'm Whoopsie Work. <laughs> and this has been Anachronismo. He's the man, the man with the finger of doom. He'll get at you, poop finger. He's the man who wants some jam, but he gets poop instead. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that goes in. Brought to you by Make Fun Network.